politicians are the virus. Yeah, man, maybe I am dumb. You think you're free? You think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in? Fauci jerked off a pangolin, and now we all have COVID. It's us against them, guys. Get out there and spread that love and liberty. Let's go. What is going on, you guys? I'm so excited you're spending today with me as the world just crumbles all around us. We got Russia invading Ukraine. A dollar of gas will cost you your firstborn child. We got a new variant out there called Deltacron, which coincidentally is the same name as the next Transformer movie. The Ukraine's making bioweapons. Farms are going out of business all over the country. And you're choosing to spend your end times with me, Maddie boy. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. You know, guys, when Venezuela's currency hyperinflated a few years ago and people couldn't afford no water or food anymore, you know what happened? The first thing they did is they went to the local zoos and they started eating the zoo animals because eating a friggin' crocodile is better than starving to death. So given that our dollar is about to be worthless, I hereby decree that the San Diego giraffes belong to my family. I get the giraffes. Hands off the giraffes. They're mine. All right, guys. Now that we got that straight, we got a great doctor on today, Dr. Mary Tally Bowden. So I'm not going to waste any more of your time running my dumb mouth. Go subscribe. Do all the things. Let's get into the show. Okay, guys, we are with Dr. Mary Tally Bowden. She's an ear, nose, and throat doctor who was brave enough to step out from the medical industrial complex and start her own business, which is Breathe MD. She doesn't deal with insurance. She doesn't have to deal with all that nonsense. She's gone against the grain of the medical industrial complex online and actually provided treatments to patients with COVID, which is a pretty novel idea, treating sick people. So doctor, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you. Now, Now we, we set this up like two or three weeks ago when we were still in the thick of the COVID pandemic and nightmare and everyone's anxiety. And it seems that COVID's over now. So I guess we have you a little late. I don't know. I mean, do you want to talk about the war? What should we do here? Should we just cancel? It's yeah, it's wild. not over for me. I wish it were over for me, but it's not. Um, but it, yeah. Isn't and it I, wild how they just like steamroll right over it and just move on to the next thing after two years of this? Yeah. I mean, there's so many unresolved issues that need to be resolved. But the nice thing is, I mean, I am seeing fewer sick people, but there's just a lot of um, loose ends that need to be tied up. And now that we all have a little more time on our hands, because we're not just dealing with loads of sick people, it's it'll be easier to fight all the issues. Yeah, I hope so. And it, it seems like the mainstream and narrative is bending a little. So we might actually be starting to win thanks to a lot of doctors like you. Um, your, your business blew up because patients were leaving their doctors who were, who were getting, di- they're diagnosing them with COVID, but they weren't giving them treatment. Uh, my family, we experienced exactly the same. We got COVID. Our doctor was like, Oh, okay. Sorry. You know, good luck. Go home. Um, now we're not, I know we're not allowed to say we've had on other doctors. We've had on Dr. Pierre Corey. Um, we've had on other doctors and every time we get taken down for saying that naughty, naughty, no, no word. Um, you know, the one I'm talking about begins with an I. So I, I want to make sure this stays up on YouTube for once. So we're not going to say that word. I don't know. We can call it like the good stuff or something, but mm-hmm. you used the good stuff to treat 
patients and you claim you treated 2000 patients with it and not one of them who got early treatment died. That's, that's astounding. So I want to know, number one, why should people who are hearing this believe you? And number two, if that's true, why aren't all doctors doing this? Well, I certainly haven't gained much by being vocal about what I'm doing. I've had three complaints uh, sent to the medical board about me. I've had my name submitted to the National Practitioner Database, which is not something will ever be removed. It's a permanent stain on my record. So there's you know nothing to be gained by me lying about my success in that regard. Um, it's it's cost me. I've, it's cost me my reputation. I, I live in a very I live in Houston, but I live in the city part, which is very democratic. And I mean, prior to COVID, I was politically agnostic and I've actually really was turned off by politics. And now I've become like this right wing conspiracy theorist, uh, according to, you know, all the Democrats. Well, yeah, exactly. According to other people, like they right. would pigeonhole you as that exactly. if you do not fall in line. Um, and, you know, I can't. I, I, I don't go to certain social situations because of what's happened because wow. I just don't want to, I just want to avoid controversy. So it's affected my life. And, um, yeah, there's no reason for me to, to make those numbers up. And, you know, I'm fortunate in that I, I have a little more freedom than most doctors to talk about what I'm doing and what I'm seeing because, I have no third party ties. I mean, I'm not tied to a hospital. I'm not tied to um, the government in any way. I don't, I don't have any third party relationships. So it, it gives me more freedom, but it's also cost me some things as well, including my privileges at Methodist. Well, I think you, you, you answered both questions in one shot there. Um, the reason to believe you is you've sacrificed personally for this. So there's nothing to lie for. And the reason other doctors aren't doing it is look how much you've suffered. It's, it's, it's taken a lot from you personally to do this. So yeah, I mean, most people really, when you pan out, most people in their heart are cowardly. That's one thing I've learned in the past couple of years. People just do the easy thing because it's easy because there's no risk there. Um, and well, we appreciate you doing what you do. Um, so we, Speaking of the good stuff, and I know that's what you use to treat patients. Um, and like I said, we had Dr. Pierre Corey on. We have, we've had other doctors. They've, they've all praised this. My family was on it for about eight months, um, taking it biweekly. We traveled all over the Western Hemisphere. Didn't get sick. We ran out of it. Within a month, we caught it. So we oh. got emergency supplies. My wife, was, my wife is fully vaxxed. She's a nurse. Um, I had one J&J. Uh, my kids were not vaxxed. We we got the good stuff and we all got better. It feels so silly saying that. It's just so dumb though, but whatever. Yeah. We all got better in about three days, all at the same time, vaxxed or not vaxxed. In fact, the kids got better even faster than us. So personally, I know it works. The data shows that it works. You are saying it works. You've used it. Your patients have gotten better. I, I think everybody's heard this now. Nobody buys into this uh, horse paste narrative anymore. Is the narrative changing? Are we starting to see more doctors starting to use it now, or is it still taboo? It's uh, it's still taboo. It's still taboo because these these doctors have dug in their heels. You know, they're not. You know, I think the public is more awake, but I don't see any evidence that doctors are more awake. If anything, they've 
they're digging their heels in even harder. I mean, I feel like every time I turn around, I'm seeing more, you know, headlines about misinformation and license removal, and that's not going away. I mean, you saw what the Surgeon General just posted about seeking out misinforming, you know, trying to target doctors like myself, and that just came out a couple of days ago. Yep, I saw so, that on your page. Yep. Yeah, I just... <laughs> It's astounding. I mean, so it'd be one point, thing if, I, if that medication were harmful, but I mean, honestly, I see people with more side effects from the antibiotics I prescribe than, than that medication. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when, when we took it, like I said, for eight months, you couldn't even tell you took anything, Right. you know, it might as right. well have been a sugar pill. I, I felt nothing physically from it. Neither did my kids. Um, so at this point, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. It's overwhelming amount of evidence, real world studies, uh, what we saw over in India, um, Mexico, other countries using it, Japan. What is the pushback from doctors at this point? I get government pushing back. I get, I get what's going on with the pharmaceutical companies. And I understand why government would do what the pharmaceutical companies want. They're in bed together. But why are the doctors still going along with it at this point when they know? They know better. Because they know what happens to doctors who use it, who, they, you know, they get reported to the medical board or, and the other thing is so many doctors are employed and their bosses are saying you, I mean, it's like this corporate policy, you know, it's, it's from the top down. We don't, and like, there's this big medical group close to my practice of primary care physicians. And it's a patient told me that her doctor said, well, we just don't prescribe that medication. Like it's this group policy. Um, and you know, there's no reason for them. They're, they're not willing to take any risk. Yeah. Um, so I also saw something else on your page and I've, I've heard this from, uh, family members actually, uh, who have gotten prescriptions for the drug, take it to the pharmacy and the pharmacy just refuses to give it to them. Are the, are the pharmacists, under the same kind of scrutiny and are, are they worried about losing their licenses for prescribing it or are these people, are they just buying into the, this false narrative? It's hard to say because it's, it's kind of quiet. I mean, I, and you hear so many conflicting reasons why from them, why they're not doing it. Like they'll blame it on corporate um, or they'll say, I'm worried about my license but there was a statement issued, at least in Texas, that you know pharmacists could not be p- penalized for uh, dispensing off-label medications, and doctors could not be penalized for prescribing off-label medications. That was just, you know, it, it came out. I can't remember, but during the pandemic, to p- try to offset this issue. Um, so there's no, there's no real. Yeah, you know, there's a law that they're breaking by dispensing it. Um, and it's hard to say. I mean, well, we're in such a politically charged climate now. Like you said, you were apolitical. Now you've been cast as this right winger. That's happened to everybody, and everybody's engaged in politics. And it just seems like pharmacists are not different than anybody else. They're just taking a side, they're taking a political right. side rather than a, a medical side. Is it unprecedented? Because I can't. I work in healthcare. My wife works in healthcare. Is it unprecedented for a pharmacist to reject a medicine in mass like is happening with this? Has this ever happened before? Never, never. I can't. I mean, 
and strangely enough, it didn't happen with op- opioids, right? Right, they, right. They never rejected those, right? Uh, I know that one firsthand. I was yeah. on those for 10 years. Nev- no one ever told me. No one ever. Th- yeah, from I had a spine surgery in 2001. From 2001 to 2011, I was on opioids as much as I wanted. Oh, did you watch the movie? Um, oh, what's it called? Drug? Um, yeah, Drug Inc. I think that was it. No. Something like that. Um, it's going to hit me. It was so good. Um, but it was about, about the, the whole, yeah. about Oxycontin. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's creepy. I mean, that's getting off topic, but it's creepy what these pharmaceutical companies are capable of. Mm-hmm. And when you then find out that Pfizer, I, I believe it was Pfizer has paid the largest criminal fine exactly. in world history. Right. And you're like, what? And, and, they're, in and charge now of the- they're in charge of the whole pandemic and we right. can't question them. The biggest, they're the biggest, literally the biggest criminals in world history, but to exactly. question them is somehow anti-American now. Right. It's wild. It is um, wild. You talked about some doctors are afraid because they work for the government or they work for a hospital, whatever. You don't, or you don't anymore. You went on your own, which is is so brave. I commend you for doing it. And I'm glad you're being rewarded for it. But Houston Methodist then, now I don't know how much you can talk about this because there's a lawsuit, but share whatever you can. They are going after you simply because of your tweets and, and what you've been saying about the situation. You're not employed by them. You don't go there for surgeries. You do your surgeries at an ambulatory center somewhere. Right. So what is that all about? Why do they care? Uh, that's an excellent question because I had never stepped foot in there. I only had privileges there as a safety backup precaution. I, I'm an ear, nose, and throat doctor. I do out, mostly outpatient surgery. And if I had a patient, say they had a tonsillectomy and they bled afterwards and needed to be admitted to the hospital, it's just a precaution. And I'd never had to admit anybody. So I'd never stepped foot in there. I was very loosely associated with them. I didn't take call there. I didn't get, I was on their paycheck. So for them to come after me was, a, you know, it was a PR stunt. It was, it was, you know, they could have done it very quietly and that would be the normal thing to do if they, if they were, you know, if they had integrity, that's how it normally would work. But um, instead they, they took it to the Houston Chronicle. That's how I found out. I got a text message from the reporter at the Houston Chronicle asked me to verify if it's true that my privileges have been suspended. And then I looked on Twitter and they were tweeting about it. Um, and that's I'm pretty sure that's never happened to a doctor in America. I mean, I wouldn't know, but it, it sounds, it sounds very strange. Like what is it that set them off? Was it a certain tweet or a did you say something about them specifically? Like, why did, no, I said, I said, ivermectin. Well, according to them, they were upset because I said, ivermectin works and vaccine mandates are wrong. So I didn't okay. tweet about them. <laughs> I just, my, my views were not consistent with their views. And so yep. they shut me down. <laughs> Unreal. I mean, well that, well, okay. You said the words we're going to get this. This one will be taken oh, off shoot. YouTube. I'm so sorry. Nope. It was, it was inevitable. No, no, it was inevitable. And it felt really stupid (laughs) using a pretend word. It's infuriating that we have to do that. But we had, we had Dr. Molly James on that one got banned. We had um, Pierre Corey on it got 30,000 views in less than a day. They took that down. Like, so you're talking about this hospital wanting to silence you. I get it because they're silencing this channel for sharing 
just sharing opinions. That's, we're sharing opinions. And it's not like, it's, this is not my opinion. I'm an idiot. You're a doctor. These other two people are doc. You went to school, you've treated thousands of people, but your opinion is not allowed to be shared. It's fucking wild. Excuse my language. It's just no, wild. It's- I've never seen anything like this. Um, hard to believe. I feel like we're reading a, his- a page out of a history book that happened. You know, it just doesn't seem real. It's just, yeah. it's, yeah, it's like, war- it's like World War II propaganda, or it's like something out of 1984. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so, the last two years have revealed a lot to me about humanity and, and a lot about society. And, and I think the two biggest things I learned is that number one, everything government touches, regardless of their intention, if government touches it, it turns to shit. Even, even if they have good intentions, which usually it, it doesn't seem like they do recently with this one. I, I feel there's some bad actors in there, but regardless, everything they touch goes to hell. But number two, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of cowards among us. Uh, doctors went along with it when I believe they they knew it was wrong. Pharmacists going along with it. I'm wondering about your colleagues. So with this podcast, I put a lot out on the air and I hear a lot from people often who are confessed to me in private. They're say, I'm so glad you're saying these things. I can't talk about them because I have a job, blah, blah, blah. I have a job too. Right. And it, <laughs> it infuriates me that people are just sitting there. So I'm wondering, do you have doctor friends coming up to you? and saying, I'm glad you're taking on this fight, or are they criticizing you to your face also? Um, I ha- well, I've only had one doctor friend sort of criticize me, and she did it on a Facebook forum, um, and that was, a- that was disconcerting. Um, but that's the only direct, well, it wasn't even that direct, but it was... It- and I have a couple of um, doctor friends who just aren't talking to me about it, which means I know they're, I know how they feel, but they're just, they're not going to get into it, which is fine. And then I have a lot of people who've come to me privately that don't want to, you know, they support me, but they're not going to go public. So yes, it's a mix. So it's everything. Yeah. It's very disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's disappointed but... when you, when you get, when you get criticized on social media by so, like, if it's strangers, I, I care less right, about that. But right. when it's somebody that you care about your friend, it right. hurts because they know oh, you and he, exactly. and that person probably called you a, a right winger or a Trumper or something that you're not. Well, it wasn't even that egregious, but it was enough that, you know, it was disparaging yeah. enough and it wasn't horrible, but it was enough. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. You got to go through that. Um, so let's, let's change tune a little bit. Cause there's some new things in the news. Um, well, number one, my children were, we're out here on the West coast, just this coming Monday, they can finally take off their masks. I mean, everywhere else in the country is some places have not been wearing them for two years. Mm-hmm. Don't really see any difference between what's been going on in those States versus our own Regardless, that's where we're at. You're an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Do the masks work? We're talking about the cloth masks that children are wearing in school. In your opinion, from what you've seen with your patients, do they do any good? No. And what's happening is everybody keeps fidgeting with their mask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're just 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 mixing up all the germs even more. I mean, I, 
I'll talk to patients who are sitting there in front of me with their mask and they must touch their mask about once every 10 seconds. I mean, I should do a study. So that's not sanitary. And, and then, yeah. And then you sneeze into your mask and it's collecting all that stuff or, or you take your mask off to sneeze, which is (laughs) what we saw Joe Biden do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Especially a little kid is not going to use a mask properly at all. No. So I'm, I'm at my uh, nine-year-old's basketball game this weekend. And, and I just had to laugh because they're, they're playing basketball. They're wearing their masks, playing basketball. Oh. The parents are all sitting on the sideline. Parents are not wearing them. Coach is not wearing them. The nine-year-olds are, are wearing them. Yeah. So the kid's coming down the court, dribbling the ball. The mask falls off onto the floor. So he passes the ball, picks up the mask, puts it back on his face. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, that's, what are we doing? That's healthy. <laughs> it, it's, it's unreal. So the masks. Um, one thing I've noticed with myself personally, now you're starting to hear this in the media in some places, but I'm old. I'm almost 50. We talked about that beforehand. I don't hear so good. I went to a lot of rock concerts when I was young. I didn't know how bad my hearing was until the pandemic started and everybody was wearing masks and I couldn't see their lips moving when they're talking to me. I didn't know what anybody was saying to me. I still have trouble when they're wearing masks, right? Children. Now we're learning who have worn these masks for a long time and whose language is developing, it's being stunted. Do you anticipate, um, what do you anticipate the fallout will be from the, these masking policies moving forward for these kids? I, I think it's more than just speech delay. I mean, there's some kids that are terrified to take their mask off. It's become like a pacifier for them. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, the whole, the whole, educational system, even without the masks. I mean, the whole lockdown and I feel my oldest kid is not the best academic in the, you know, he's, he's a typical boy wants to be playing outside all day long and does not want to be studying. And so, and luckily his school, we only did home learning for that spring and then they went back to school, but that spring, I mean, he he did not, I mean, that was a complete waste. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, it was just that spring. But if it had been beyond that, I mean, it was just been he would have been so far behind in academics. I mean, it's the whole thing is, you know, luckily my boys, I have four boys and they go to a school that has not made them wear masks at all. And they just shut down for that spring when, you know, right after spring break in 2020. Mm-hmm. but they never made them wear masks and they never shut, they never shut down during the year. You know, like it didn't, they didn't have outbreaks, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was wonderful, but I can't imagine the other extreme of that. Yeah. It's been two years now. Our kids missed a full more than a full year of school. <gasps> and another thing I learned during this pandemic is that the public schools are, are garbage. At oh. least here, they're just garbage. Like the, the things I will teach my kids in an hour at dinner are more valuable than they're learning in school eight hours a day. It's so disappointing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I know now and we're figuring out what to do about that. But yeah, I agree with you. There's going to be, there's a lot of kids out here who you, you, you just see it. They're just uncomfortable all the time. They don't know how to socialize. And I believe the masking had something to do with it. I, I have no doubt about it. Um, I just heard from my friend today about this new, who's also in healthcare about a new variant now, Delta, Delta Cron, they're calling it. Do you, do you know anything about this? What should this, we make of this? Is it from the UK? I just heard that things were surging in the UK, but I haven't, 
I don't know if that's what you're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's why I'm asking okay. you. Well, I don't either. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Are we going to keep having variants? Is that just going to keep happening forever and ever like we get with the flu? Isn't that what we can expect? I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to predict because my predictions have been wrong. I thought, you know, every time we'd have a peak and then we'd fall off, it'd be like, oh, we're it's done. And now we can just go on with our lives. And then another surge comes. So um, I don't know. I mean, I hope it's I don't know. I mean, at least Omicron was slightly less virulent. It's still, I still saw a ton of sick people, but um, perhaps if there is another strain, it's not quite as bad. That's how it should work. Each strain should, if it, you know, the yeah. flu is annual and this seems to not be following that kind of pattern. Well, yeah, that's what happens when you make a bioweapon. Right. right, right. I mean, hey, if we're going to get canceled, let's, let's right, just go all right, out. Just go, just jump in. With okay. <laughs> Speaking with, of, of bioweapons, uh, another thing I just picked up on yesterday, I'm watching television. There's Senate testimony regarding this war from, uh, what was her name? Uh, I wrote it down here. Gloria, uh, Victoria Newland, who is in the, the Biden administration, and she's very important in the Ukraine, apparently. And she testified before Congress that Ukraine has bio labs that we are funding and they're concerned about the Russians getting these. Mm -hmm. Are we looking, have you heard about this and is this something we should be concerned about? So I, I last night as I was going to sleep, I was trying to watch the Tucker Carlson video about this mm -hmm. and I fell asleep. So okay. I didn't hear the whole, I just know that that's out there, but I don't know the details. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's not many de well, there are details, but essentially there's a bio lab where they're working on things just like they were doing in China. So oh, that right. concerns me. Right. Well, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't I know what to make of the whole Ukraine thing because I've lost all trust in the media. So mm. like, I don't even know whether whose side I'm on that right now because I don't know yeah, who yeah. to trust. Well, yeah, don't trust. That's <laughs> right. the bottom line. Just, just don't. Right. Um, all right. So I, you know, I mentioned I work in healthcare. My wife works in healthcare. I know the healthcare industrial complex. It's, it's a mess. It's corrupt like any other. Um, if the problem is centralized control, right? So you have, you have uh, pharmacy companies who fund politicians and politicians write rules in their favor. And you get that in every aspect of healthcare, you can fix that by de decentralizing government. Now, I know this is not your area of expertise, but I want your opinion on it. You're now working, you've decentralized yourself. You've taken yourself out of the mix, right? So you're almost untouchable. You, there's no central control over you. You started your own business. You take patient pay only. Insurance companies can't touch you. Government can't touch you. Um, has that been a good decision for you, uh, both for your, your career, for healthcare, for patients and business-wise? And do you think that our problems can be solved by decentralizing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, prior to the pandemic, I was very passionate about this. Um, and actually, my I started my practice six months before the pandemic started, but it taken me really about two years to even get my practice started. So it'd been a long time coming. And um, I, I, I am so happy with the way my practice uh, works because 
I don't, I mean, prior when I was taking insurance, it was always this battle with the insurance company. Like, will they pay for this? Should I do this? Is it, if I, if I do this, will the patient get some surprise bill? I mean, for simple things like just using a little endoscope to look in the nose, which I do on everybody now, I don't charge them extra. It's just part of the exam, but with the insurance system, you know, you could do, you could take a look in somebody's nose with the endoscope and they might get a bill for $300 if you yep. didn't code it correctly or if the, if the insurance company didn't believe it was necessary. I mean, that, it was just a daily headache. Um, and I love not having that. I love, I spend much more time with my patients. I, each, each appointment's a minimum of 30 minutes. New patients are 45 minutes. Um, and you know, patients have a lot more autonomy. They, they, it's very efficient. They have access. They can just go online and book their appointment. They don't have to spend 15 minutes on the phone with somebody getting their insurance verified and all of that business. And, um, it's been very rewarding. It was risky because as a specialist, it's pretty unusual for a specialist to only take cash. Um, you're like a plastic surgeon. Um, but it's, it's worked out well. And, you know, it, you can, this model, I mean, I provide affordable care for a lot of people because so many people, even if they have insurance are functionally uninsured. So, you know, their deductible is so high that if they want to get a tonsillectomy, you know, they may pay $5,000. Well, if they come to me to get a tonsillectomy, the whole thing would be $3,000. So it's, they can actually save money by not, you know, by applying what they would towards their deductible by using somebody like me. Um, and then there's this whole movement called direct primary care, which it's like a healthcare membership. And so it's, it's, it's like affordable concierge care. So you pay a monthly fee like you would at the gym. It's usually, you know, under $200 a month and you get uh, access to a doctor, um, you know, seven days a week. And it's just much more streamlined, efficient and quality care. Um, So that is a growing movement. And I'm hoping that the pandemic will accentuate that movement because people are so fed up. Right. So. A couple things there. You said a couple inter- interesting things. Number one, you sound ethical, right? You're not trying to gouge anybody. Um, people have insurance because number one, people just do what they're told and they do what they're used to. But also, one reason people think they need insurance is because worst case scenario, you know, right. you get you get cancer, that's going to wipe you out without insurance. But the truth is, you get cancer, it's going to wipe you out with your insurance because insurance kind of sucks, right? Um, so, are most of your patients are they insured and paying out of pocket or are we dealing with a population who is uninsured and paying out of pocket? Because it seems kind of wasteful and redundant to have insurance and also use a service like yours. Well, I would say about, I'd say about 80% of my patients have insurance, but they're coming to see me because they either don't like the other options out there or they're trying to get a second opinion. I'm sort of known for being more conservative I don't push surgery on anybody. It's always the last resort. Um, and it's easy to get, it's easy to get in and out of my practice. I'm not located in some, you know, the medical center in Houston is a daunting process. I mean, there's, it's, there are buildings everywhere, massive parking garages, 
it probably, you probably need to allow 30 minutes to get from the parking group to, to park and get to the office with how complicated it is. And for me, I'm like the neighborhood ENT where, you know, oh, I've got an earache and I, you know, I do an emergency ear check, $130. You come in and I check your ears to make sure you don't have an ear infection, that kind of thing, where no one wants to really deal with the medical center because it's such a hassle and it's inefficient and it's not patient friendly. Um, You know, I think insurance has a role for catastrophic major. I was going to ask, is there, is there anything of, is there something available for people who would prefer a service like yours where they, they pay out of pocket for the normal things, but they have insurance for the disaster case. Is there like disaster case insurance and that's all it covers? Definitely. And you know, I have, I have a, it's not health insurance, but it's like a um, cost sharing where, you know, I pay a monthly premium, but it's not, it's a little bit different than insurance. Um, But I have, I have access to a lot more doctors, but just pay less. There, there are ways around it where you don't have to sign up with Blue Cross Blue Shield. So, you know, with Abuka's Blue Cross Blue Shield, United, Cigna, Humana. Mm-hmm. If you could avoid those at all costs, I would. But, you know, yeah. a lot of them are through your company and you don't have much say. But uh, another trend that I've become a part of is companies that self-insure. And then, like, I, I'm affiliated with something called Texas Medical Management Company. And they basically find people like myself who operate, but provide a more, a better experience, both in cost and quality. And these self-insured employers want to send their employees to people like me. Cause they'll sit like, they'll go and say, okay, I saw this ENT. They're going to charge $10,000 to take the tonsillectomy. Mm-hmm. And they'll say to the patient, Hey, you want to go to this person, me, who he's only $3,000 for a tonsillectomy and yep. we'll, we'll cover everything. There'll be nothing out of pocket. So they have an incentive and then yeah. it's win-win. Um, but it's all self-insured employers. Yeah. I'm glad the world is moving this way. This there's, we are seeing this in every sector. You're seeing it in public education. A lot of people doing homeschool and, and co-ops and things mm-hmm. like that. So this is important. Taking power back away from government and upon yourself is, I think, how we fix society. Now, you mentioned you're, you're a conservative doctor and, and you don't use surgery as a last resort. Surgery mm-hmm. should be the last resort. You should try everything. Now, I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience. I've had 11 spine surgeries, 11. Ooh. I've had four fusions. Uh. After the first one, I went to Cedar sinai famous hospital here. After the first one, it did no good. I went back to the doctor. And the next thing he said was, okay, let me go back in there. We'll do this thing. And, right. I, and I did it because he's the doctor. He knows right. I was, what was I? 29 years old. This guy's 50. He's done a million of these. I trust him. Okay. It's been a decade since I've had any surgeries. When the pandemic hit, I stopped going to doctors like everybody. Right. And I, I'm a physical therapist by trade. And I just started going out in my garage because there's nowhere else to go in the world. And I started just doing things that felt right. I started moving, letting my body tell me where to go. And I fixed myself. After 25 years of chronic debilitating pain, I'm in the best shape I've been in since college. So Mm -hmm. taking the power back worked for me. You're taking the power back for you. You're giving the power back to your patients. It's fucking awesome. I love that. Um, You talk about the costs. The reason healthcare is so expensive is because of these insurance companies. They have a stranglehold on government along with Medicare Mm -hmm. and the pharmacy companies who who get to charge whatever they want. So ivermectin, we bought it in when we were in uh, Panama. 
it was like four bucks a pill. We stocked up. We had nine months. Well, that's worth. actually expensive. <laughs> okay. Well, I was happy to pay four bucks a pill for yeah. it. Right. This new uh, Pfizer drug they make that, that sounds like a weak ass ivermectin. They charge like $300, $400. And people think it's free because government pays for it. Your insurance pays for it. No, it's this, right. this bad deal between the pharmaceutical company and the government. And now I'm doing the interview myself. So why don't you tell me about that, about that corruption between the pharmacy companies and government and the insurance companies? And did you recognize this for yourself? And is that why you got out? I, yeah, I, I didn't recognize this whole conflict of interest with the pharmaceutical companies until the pandemic, actually, I guess. I mean, I knew that, I, you know, you'd have drug reps that would call on you and, and give you samples and um, it, it, it was awareness, but not to the degree that I have now. Um, I think I, looking back, like I used to in my old practice. I used to prescribe Leviquin all the time, which is an antibiotic, very potent. And then most of the reason was because the drug companies were always bringing me samples. And so mm-hmm. it was just very easy. And it did change my prescribing habits. Now, I never—I mean, it's like the last thing I prescribe because the side effects are so bad. It, of all the antibiotics that I could prescribe, it's the one I would least likely use. Uh, I only use it wow. if I absolutely have to. So that is, you know, but I didn't realize I was being swayed until now looking back. Now I realize. Yeah. Um, well, let me cut, let but, me cut you off there and ask something. So that's a pharmaceutical rep. They come in, they give you the samples, they talk you into it. Now I've been in that world too. Usually, you know, most doctors are, are men more, a higher percentage of them. And they're getting these men by using attractive 20 somethings who wear short skirts and flirt right. with them. And it, right. it works because men are dumb. We're dumb. You know, we see a girl in a short skirt. Yeah. I'll take your medicine. And they, and they hand it out. What approach do they use with a female doctor to get you to use their medicine? Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel like they were like overly salesy for me. It was, I worked in a clinic where people didn't have, it was more blue collar and a lot of people couldn't afford, you know, they couldn't even afford the um, co copays for the visit or, you know, so for me, it was like, I just wanted to help the patient and give them, you know, I'd start them with the samples or that's how I thought of it. It's like, okay, I've got these samples and then you start using it and you just get in the habit of it. You know, it's because it's, you're just, so you thought you were doing the, the patient a favor because it's free. Right. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're a good person. So they got, they got you because you're a good person and you thought you were doing something good. I get it. Um, okay. So people, are you taking on new patients or are you just like overwhelmed with patients at this point? Because there's been so much, you know, like I said, we went to the doctor, they wouldn't treat us. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of that around. So people are coming to you cause you're treating and healing people. Are you overwhelmed at this point? Are you expanding? What's happening? I, uh it's finally calming down. I was maybe last month has been completely crazy. I mean, just very hectic. Um, I'm finally feeling like I have a little breathing room and I'm hiring an, um, another ENT. So that's exciting. Good. Um, and that, that will make my life easier. And I'm trying to hire a primary care doctor because I have so many patients telling me that they're looking for a new primary care doctor. So I'm trying to hire a like-minded primary care doctor to join my practice. Any success finding any? 
not yet. No. I mean, yeah, you got to find you got to find someone who shares your views and who's also willing to take a chance. Right. right? That's right. that's not so easy. Mm-mm. Um, you've caught heat uh, on on Twitter. I I spent a solid night last night going through your Twitter for your positions on on the injections that they want to, you know, the, the shots. Um, have you seen patients who have suffered from this? Um, what's your overall opinion on it? Oh yeah. I mean, that's prior to the pandemic. I'd never heard, seen any, anybody with a vaccine reaction other than the occasional flu, like, Oh, I got the flu after getting the flu shot, but I, never anything serious from any kind of vaccine, never during my training, never during medical school, never during residency. Wow. I didn't know anybody that had a reaction. I basically thought, okay, those anti-vaxxers are overreacting. Da, da, da. You know, it was, I was very mainstream. And now I see several people a week with vaccine reactions. Several people a week. Several. So you were not yes. coming into this. You were not in, to be clear, you were not an anti-vaxxer. You actually got this vaccine yourself, right? Yes. And okay. I, I tried to get the vaccine for my clinic, for my patients. I was, I was all oh, yeah? for it. Like, and they yeah, were only giving it out. Yeah. Yeah, and they weren't giving it out to small clinics initially. They just were giving it out to the hospitals. So I couldn't get any. But then I do a lot of testing and I kept seeing all these breakthrough cases. And so I just sort of decided, well, I don't, this doesn't seem right. And so I just held off on trying to get any more. And now, you know, then you start seeing all the reactions. Yeah. So now, yeah. Well, even the ones that you don't see, like you're seeing reactions where people think they need to go to a doctor. I got more sick from the vaccine than from COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I was down for four days from the vaccine, right? right. I don't, I, exactly. I, that's a side effect, right? I had a fever for four days. Right. Uh, COVID, I had a fever for about half a day and I had a scratchy throat for three more days. Right. So right. Um, yeah, I've never experienced that with the flu. I used to get the flu shot anymore. I don't think I, I will anymore. I'm a little more hesitant to just right. start injecting things in my body now. So I think they, I think right. the, they've done a lot of damage to their reputation, not by this shot, not being perfect, but by the way they've tried to cover everything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, will there be any recourse for the American people, um, who have gotten these injuries? Is there anything they can do about think- it? I think they'll prove fraud and if they can prove fraud, then there's definitely recourse. They just have to prove fraud. Even with the, I mean, from my understanding, the government gave them, gave Pfizer immunity. Not back from what, and I'm not a lawyer, but from what I understand is that they can prove fraud there, that contract is void. There's no, there's no safety from recourse. Okay. Well, I hope there is some enterprising young lawyer out there who's obviously right wing who takes this on because it something needs to be done about it because this machine is just getting revved up and it seems like, you know, Delta Cron, whatever, there's going to be more of this and we got to, we got to break this cycle. Um, we're running out of time. I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for being brave and, you know, putting yourself at risk and doing it for others uh, professionally, what you do online. Um, now you got this, this hospital coming after you. So thank you for what you do. Cause there are not a lot of you I'm out there looking for you guys. So thank you. If people do want to see you in the Houston area, can they, how can they go do it? 
Yes, my uh, website is breathemd.org and you can find out all about our practice and schedule there. Awesome. And on Twitter, what's your handle? md.breathe. Yeah, guys, follow follow her on Twitter if you want to hear the real. All right, doctor, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. It.